the purpose of the first Christian church, well, the purpose of the first Christian church of Griffith, Indiana is to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. The Sunday school teacher was extremely enthusiastic. She looked at the class of four-year-olds and asked this question. Does anyone know what today is? A little girl held up her finger and said, yes, today is Palm Sunday. That's fantastic, the teacher replied. Does anyone know what next Sunday is? The same little girl held up her finger and said, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Again, the teacher replied, that's great. Then the teacher asked, does anyone know what makes next Sunday Easter Sunday? The little girl responded again, yes, next Sunday is Easter Sunday because Jesus rose from the grave. But before the teacher could again congratulate her, she continued, but if he sees his shadow, he has to go back in the tomb for six weeks. (laughs) Today is Easter Sunday, and we celebrate the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being raised from the dead by God the Father. Whether or not he saw his shadow, it's not really of any importance. But what I do know for certain is that he did not go back into the tomb, but he is alive forevermore. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to look at John chapter 20, and we're going to examine and talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you've got a Bible and you can grab it, uh, turn to John chapter 20 and you can follow along. Uh, we're going to review the story of what happened on that day, and then we're going to, I'm going to share with you three things that I know for certain. Uh, let's first look at John chapter 20. Uh, I'm not going to read every verse uh, in the chapter, uh, but you can follow along as I retell the story of what happened on that first Easter Sunday. It was Sunday, the first day of the week, and it was the third day that Jesus had been in the tomb. Grief was still filling the hearts of those who followed him. He was gone. How could this have happened? How could this have happened? Mary Magdalene woke up early that morning and went to the tomb in order to anoint Jesus' body. When she arrived, she discovered that the stone had been removed from in front of the tomb, and she assumed that the body had been stolen. She ran to tell Peter and John, the disciple Jesus loved, and they quickly uh, ran to the tomb and found it empty just as Mary had said. Jesus wasn't there. The tomb was empty. You see, this wasn't the end of the story, though. In fact, it was their very beginning of the story. Jesus appeared three times in the book, uh, in John chapter 20. Three times he shows up. The first appearance was to Mary Magdalene, the first woman at the tomb. She was outside the tomb crying when two angels appeared and asked her why she was crying. She said, they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned around, and there was a man that she thought was the gardener. He said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will, I will get him. He said to her, Mary. And she realized at that moment that it was Jesus. He was alive. Jesus told her to go to the disciples and tell them what she had seen. And that's what she did. Later that same night, most of the disciples were all together with the doors locked. They were frightened of the Jewish authorities. All of a sudden, Jesus appeared in their midst and said, Peace, be still, or peace be with you. John says that the disciples were overjoyed at seeing the Lord. If you look at John 20, verses 21 through 23, it says, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, the disciple Thomas was not with them on that day when Jesus appeared with them to them the first time. 
the other disciples told Thomas what they had seen. But he told them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. One week later, the disciples were all together again with the doors locked again. <coughs> this time, Thomas was with them. Jesus appeared to them again and uh, stood in their midst. Again, he said, peace be with you. Now, I, I wonder why three different times Jesus says, peace be with you. They're here in this locked room. They're terrified. They're scared to death. The authorities are going to get them, that the authorities are going to come and arrest them and take them away, that they're going to suffer some kind of horrible fate. So here they are in the upper, in their room uh, with the doors locked, trying to figure out what to do. And as they sit there, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, poof, Jesus appears. Now, I don't know if it was like some kind of cool Hollywood dramatic thing where like smoke started to fill the room, you know, and kind of came in under the door and the disciples are going, what's going on? What's happening? You know, all of a sudden, pow, you know, maybe a, a trumpet sound or some kind of thing happened. And Jesus is like, hey, you know, anything like that. But all I know is that something happened. The disciples are there. Jesus shows up, just kind of pops into their midst. And he says, peace be with you. And the reason, the only reason I can think that he said, peace be with you, is because the disciples freaked out. Now imagine, we're sitting here this morning, and all of a sudden, someone just appears on stage behind me. Now all of you would be thinking, oh, nice trick, Sean. <laughs> um, but we would probably start freaking out. If all of a sudden, someone just appeared in the middle of the stage, um, I would freak out after you, because I would see you freaking out, and then I would start freaking out, and the whole room would be freaking out. And, if, and it would be necessary for the person, especially, you know, if it was Jesus, to say, peace be with you. Stop freaking out. And I think that's why he said it three different times, because the disciples were, in fact, freaking out when Jesus shows up. So anyway, he says, peace be with you, verses 27 through 29 of John chapter 20. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The tomb was empty, and Jesus appeared three times in John 20 after his resurrection. He was really dead, and here he was, really alive on the third day. Now, imagine the mystery and delight of not just hearing, but seeing the story of Jesus for the first time, almost as an eyewitness. If you lived in a, a, a country far away from here and had never heard the story of Jesus, had never seen a church building in your life, um, had never heard about the crucifixion or the resurrection or the miracles or the stories or the teachings, if you'd never heard any of that, well, see, that's what happened to a tribe in the jungles of East Asia when missionaries showed them the Jesus film. Not only had these people never heard of Jesus Christ, but they had never seen, they had never even seen a motion picture. Then all at once, on one forgettable evening, they saw it all. The gospel in their own language, visible and real. Imagine how it felt to see this good man, Jesus, who healed the sick and was adored by children, he was held without trial and beaten by jeering soldiers. As they watched this, the people came unglued. They stood up and they began to shout at the cruel men on the screen, demanding that this outrage stop. When nothing happened, they attacked the missionary running the projector. Perhaps he was responsible for this injustice. He was forced to stop the film and explain that the story wasn't over yet, that there was more. So they settled back onto the ground, 
holding their emotions in check. Then came the crucifixion, and again the people could not hold back. They began to weep and wail with such loud grief that once again the film had to be stopped. The missionary again tried to calm them, explaining that the story still wasn't over, that there was more. So they composed themselves and sat down to see what happened next. And then came the resurrection. Pandemonium broke out this time, but for a different reason. The gathering had spontaneously erupted into a party. The noise now was of jubilation, and it was deafening. The people were dancing and slapping each other on the back. Christ is risen! They were all excited about it. Now imagine, if you'd never seen that, if you'd never heard about it, and all of a sudden you see it in, in, on film that this Jesus uh, who did all these wonderful things was unjustly crucified, but yet he rose again from the dead. He truly was dead, and then he was raised back to life. What would that do to you? Better yet, what does that do to you? Does it cause you to spontaneously erupt into joyous celebration are you excited as you sit here on easter sunday 2008 how has the resurrection changed you does it make any difference at all or is it just an excuse to come to church today is it just an excuse to buy a new outfit i bought the cutest outfit for jonathan you'll have to see it my little 19-month-old, I, I went to Macy's and got him a little four-piece outfit. He's got a little vest on, a shirt, and a little clip-on tie, and little shoes, and he's just all adorable. He's just so cute. Easter's got to be more than that, though. It's got to be more than just an excuse to spend too much money on an outfit the little boy's only going to wear once, much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> well, i got three thoughts that I want to share with you this morning before we close. And these are three thoughts, three things that I know for certain about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing I know is that the tomb is still empty. For centuries, people have tried to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead. There's a professor in England uh, who uh, did a probability study regarding Jesus' resurrection. Uh, economists use probability theory to predict how people will spend money. Insurance people uh, use it to figure out how, how high someone's insurance premiums will be. In 2002, Richard Swinburne, who is a professor of philosophy at Oxford University, used a formula known as Bayes' theorem to calculate the probability of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. He said that someone who is dead for three days to come to life again is, according to the laws of nature, extremely improbable. Mr. Swinburne told an audience of more than 100 philosophers who had convened at Yale University in April of 2002 uh, for a conference on ethics and belief. Mr. Swinburne, an imposing figure with white hair, went on to evaluate the evidence for and against the resurrection. He assigned values to factors like the probability that God exists, the nature of Jesus' behavior while he was alive, and the quality of eyewitness testimony after his death. He plugged it all into a dense thicket of letters and symbols and did the math. Given E and H, or given E and K, sorry, in case you're following along. Given E and K, H is true if and only if C is true, he said. The probability of H given E is, and K is 0.97. In plain English, this means that Mr. Swinebird's calculations, by Mr. Swinebird's calculations, the probability of the resurrection comes out to be a whopping 97%. The probability of Jesus Christ rising from the dead is 97%. Now, this is a pretty smart guy. And he did all this mathematical computation, and he used scientific methods to figure this all out. 
And what he is saying is that scientifically, there is a 97% chance that Jesus rose from the dead. Scientifically. Okay, it's not just, you know, Sean getting up here and telling you, I think that Jesus rose from the dead, or the Bible telling me that Jesus rose from the dead. This is a guy using science. A lot of people say, you know, science and the Bible don't go hand in hand, uh, that science proves that God doesn't exist and all this. This guy used scientific probability to say that there's a 97% chance that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, in case you're wondering what I think, uh, in case you care about my opinion, I believe 100% that Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe that Jesus' tomb is still empty this morning. And because the tomb is still empty, I know that Jesus is alive. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. You can read it up here. It says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Jesus Christ was really dead. He actually died on the cross. He was beaten, nailed to the cross, and had a spear thrust through his side. And he did this because of his great love for you and for me. It's because Jesus loved us so much that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and that is what he did. He he died as the perfect sacrifice in order to suffer the punishment that our sins deserve. You and I, we are sinners and we deserve to die for our sins. Romans 6:23 says that the wages of sin is death. But it also says that the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. What we deserve is death, but because of God's great love and mercy and grace, we don't get death. Instead, we get the chance for eternal life. Because of Jesus' death, we can be forgiven. We must simply accept God's offer of salvation, this free gift that he gives us, this free gift of grace that God offers to each and every one of us. And, it, and we accept it by, this, by doing these things. One, we have to believe. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that he gave up his own life. Uh, I was reading in my devotions this week um, about how uh, Jesus uh, said that he was telling the Pharisees that uh, it wasn't, uh, they weren't going to take his life from him that he was going to willingly give up his life, that he was going to willingly lay down his life, that no one was taking it away, no one was going to uh, take his life, but he was going to give it up. He willingly went to the cross. Uh, he didn't have to be forced to go to the cross. That in eternity, when God, said, when God the Father said to Jesus Christ the Son and said, something's got to be done. Those people down there are dying in their sins. Something's got to be done. Jesus said, I'll go. You're going to have to die. I know. It's going to be painful. I realize that. You're going to suffer. I understand. They're going to reject you. Yeah. They're going to spit on you. Uh-huh. They're going to beat you. They're going to flog you. They're going to crucify you. You still want to go? Yeah. Why? Because I love those people. Every single one of them. The ones who are going to do that to me, I love them. The ones who are going to reject me, 
I love them. The ones who will accept me, love them too. Every single one of them. Red and yellow, black and white and brown, male, female, young, old, all of them. I'll die for all of them. That's what he did. We have to believe. We have to repent, which means that we turn away from sin and we turn to God. We have to confess that Jesus, we have to confess our faith in Christ. We have to confess that he is our Savior and Lord. Finally, we have to be baptized by immersion. And it is when we are baptized that Peter says that our sins are forgiven and that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized, we are baptized by immersion because Paul says that it unites us with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. When you're lowered into the water, you're united with him in his death. And when you are brought up out of the water, you are united with him in his resurrection. Our old sinful self is put to death and we are raised up out of the water to live a new life. Jesus was totally actually dead and then he appeared to his disciples and to over 500 people at the same time jesus was really alive and it's not that he was alive jesus is alive a muslim in africa became a christian and some of his friends asked him why have you done such a thing he answered well it's like this suppose you are going down the road and suddenly the road forks in two directions you don't know which way to go and there at the fork are two men, one who is alive and one who is dead. Which one would you ask you to show you the way? Muhammad is still dead, but Jesus is alive. I know for certain that Jesus is alive. The last thing I know is that Jesus is coming back. After he was raised, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us. Acts 1, 9 through 11 says he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid, them from, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus said in Revelation 22, 12, behold, I am coming soon. You may think to yourself, well, if he's coming soon, why hasn't he come back yet? Peter answers that question in his second letter. He said that the Lord is not slow in his coming as some understand slowness. He is waiting for everyone. He is wanting everyone to come to repentance. He is waiting for as many people as possible to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He may be waiting for you. Jesus may be ready to come back at this very moment. And God is saying, wait, there is one more. There is one more who will believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. That one more may be you. He may be waiting for you to make that decision. But know this, he will not wait forever. Jesus will return. And when he does, it will be too late to make the decision to follow him. I know for certain that he is coming back. Chuck Colson was convicted for his involvement in the Watergate scandal as an assistant to President Richard Nixon. And he writes, When I am challenged on the resurrection, my answer is always that the disciples and 500 others gave eyewitness accounts of, Jesus, of seeing Jesus risen from the tomb. But then I'm asked, How do you know that they were telling the truth? Maybe they were perpetrating a hoax. My answer to that comes from an unlikely source. Watergate. 
Watergate involved a conspiracy perpetuated by the closest aides to the President of the United States, the most powerful men in America, who were intensely loyal to their President. But one of them, John Dean, turned state's evidence, that is, testified against Nixon, as he put it, to save his own skin. And he did so only two weeks after informing the President about what was really going on. Two weeks! The cover-up, the lie, could only be held together for two weeks, and then everybody else jumped ship in order to save themselves. Now, the fact is that the only thing all of those around the president were going to suffer was embarrassment, maybe some prison time. Nobody's life was at stake. But what about the disciples? Twelve powerless men, peasants really, were facing not just embarrassment or political disgrace, but beatings, stoning, and execution. Every single one of the disciples insisted to their dying breaths that they had physically seen Jesus bodily raised from the dead. Don't you think that one of those apostles would have cracked before being stoned or beheaded? That's That one of them would have made a deal with the authorities? None did. Men will give their lives for something they believe to be true. They will never give their lives for something they believe to be a lie. The Watergate cover-up reveals the true nature of, human, of humanity. Even political zealots at the pinnacle of power will, in the crunch, save their own necks, even at the expense of the ones they profess to serve so loyally. But the apostles could not deny Jesus because they had seen him face to face, and they knew that he had risen from the dead. No, you can take it from an expert in cover-ups, I've lived through Watergate, that nothing less than a resurrected Christ could have caused those men to maintain their dying whispers that Jesus Christ is alive and is Lord. 2,000 years later, nothing less than the power of the risen Christ could inspire Christians around the world to, be, to remain faithful despite prison, torture, and death. What are you willing to stake your life on? Martin Luther King Jr. said that if a man hasn't found something worth dying for, then he isn't fit to live. Millions of people, have literally millions of people, have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. It is because they were convinced that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, and that he is coming again. What do you believe in? In the last part of John 20, Jesus did, says, John writes that Jesus did many other miracle, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you have never made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is your opportunity. You can make that decision today to believe, repent, confess, be baptized. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a few minutes, just a few moments. It's called, I Have Decided. Perhaps you've heard it before. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back. The, wor the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. We want to invite you this morning to come forward, make that decision, make that decision to follow Christ. Mary ran to the disciples on that day, as you saw played out before you this morning, and she said, I have seen the Lord. I can guarantee you one thing, there is coming a day, there is coming a day when everyone will be able to say, I have seen the Lord. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, every eye will see him. 
I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how that's possible, but I know that it's true. Every eye will see him. Are you ready? Are you ready to see the Lord? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this chance today to open your word and to talk about the resurrection, to talk about how Jesus, though he was dead, was raised to life, that he is alive forevermore and is coming back to take us home. I pray for those who have yet to make a decision, who have yet to decide whether or not they're going to follow Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that through the Holy Spirit, you would convict them of their need of a Savior, convict them of their need for forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. And I pray today that someone, that each of us would decide to follow Jesus. We pray this in his name.